Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. episode 25 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. As always, I want to say a huge thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. Um, And on today's show, we are joined again by Conrad Newton of the ChopsKicksAndNearFalls.com website, and also one third of the Talk at the Table podcast, an excellent show. Uh, I strongly suggest you go and have a listen to that. We are discussing Royal Rumble 2010 today, Um, a very eventful show, a great rumble with surprise returns, and on the undercard, perhaps one of the worst things I've seen on WWE television. But we get into it in great detail uh, with our conversation with Conrad. Before we get there, however, I just want to direct everyone towards the show's social medias. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, um, all of those at SJP Wrestling Pod. Um, I strongly urge you to chuck us a follow on all of those formats if you can. You can interact with me and the show there. Let us know if there's any uh, subjects you want us to cover, any particular wrestlers, careers you want us to look at, any pay per views you want me to go back and look at. If there's anyone in particular you would like me to try and interview, I'd be hugely grateful. And I love all the interactions we get, so the more the merrier. Okay, um, as always, that's enough from me rambling on, so we'll get to our uh, our review of Royal Rumble 2010 with Comrade Newton. Thank you for listening. I am overjoyed once again to be welcoming Conrad Newton of the Chops, Kicks and Near Falls website back to the SJP Wrestling Podcast to have this little uh, travel back in time to go and re-watch Raw Rumble 2010 and uh, review the show with me. Conrad, how are we doing, my friend? I'm pretty good, mate. Yeah, this is round three, I think, of me being yeah. on the show. Yeah. Honoured to be back on. How are you? Yeah, I'm not doing too bad. I'm not doing too bad. Um, well, actually, no, that's not that's not strictly true. A um, little bit of context, just in case anyone hears any funny noises and so on. I've got a pretty savage bloody toothache. So if at any stage I sort of sound a bit off, that'll be why. So try, I'll, I'll try, try and ignore it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, kids, when your mum and dad tell you to brush your teeth, do it. Trust me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, comrade. I mean, when it came to uh, Raw Rumble season, as it's referred to quite often online um, and, the, and on WWE programming, I guess, um, we had a little chat about covering a show, uh, having you back on to look back on an old, an old Raw Rumble. Um, we discussed a few different years, um, and we kind of settled on 2010, mainly from your suggestion. Um, why exactly was that? What, what was it about this event that made you sort of think, this is the one we should have a look at? Um, I think it was just because, like, kind of sentimental, I think it was like the first rumble that um, I properly kind of watched, and I had it on, like, DVD not too long ago. Um, 
this like 20, 2013, 14 when I started watching like WWE. Um, I used to go through like um, the DVD section at CEX and I, I, I bought WrestleMania 26 and this Rumble and it was like the first two WWE shows that I watched. So um, they were kind of like sentimental favourites and I thought it'd be cool to kind of see if my tastes have changed from like when I was like much younger to like my taste as a wrestling fan now. Um, would have been cool to uh, like 2001 and 2008 I considered as well. But um, yeah, I think 2010 was kind of like my main kind of thought. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I mean, 2001 is, is a great rumble. 2008, I don't remember a lot about. Perhaps we can go back and have a look at that together as well. Because I mean, with with, uh, with this show here, 2010, there's a couple of moments in it that I remember. That aside, watching it back, I was like, man, I don't remember so much about this. So it was a real sort of jog of my memory watching the event back this afternoon. Um, so I'm, I'm very glad that we set. Well, I'm very glad that you put this one forward and we settled upon this one. Um, yeah, I mean, a little bit of context for everybody. The Raw Rumble in 2010 um, was promoted by the three separate band brands that WWE had at the time, Raw, SmackDown, and ECW. Uh, so you had representatives from each show involved, uh, each of the three shows involved throughout the card. Um, the show comes from the, let me have a look, the Phillips Arena in Atlanta, Georgia. There is 16,697 in attendance, if you are to believe WWE, which I don't think at this stage they can be sort of papering anything too much. They're doing very, very well financially, ticket sales and so on. Uh, the pay-per-view itself received 4,000, sorry, 462,000 pay-per-view buys. Uh, both of those numbers, the attendance and the pay-per-view buys, were a touch higher than the previous year's effort in 2009. But 2011, um, we saw another jump again with the pay-per-view boys adding another 15,000 on top. So things are going quite well financially for the WWE at this time. Um, we One thing I noticed straight away, Conrad, when we pressed play on this on the WWE Network earlier, was the time. Um, the show clocks in at 2 hours 39 minutes. Obviously nowadays, that's that's a relatively short event, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty much double these days, isn't it? Like, uh, especially like a big kind of big four, big five show. It's normally like three, four hours long. And um, to be honest, it's quite refreshing kind of because I'm kind of, I get a bit nervous like when I sit back to kind of watch older shows or even like newer shows. I just don't think I've got the time to sit down for like three, three, four hours of my time and kind of watch like a show in its entirety. So this was kind of quite nice. And it, to be honest, those two hours flew by. Yeah. I agree. I agree. It felt, um, I mean, I suppose we'll talk about it as we get into the matches, but I felt that the whole show was paced very, very well. Uh, the timing of the matches, um, obviously the rumble is going to take as, as long as a rumble takes. That's the nature of the beast. But the undercard sometimes can, can affect the show in general with how long the, the title matches may go and how long other segments go. I think this one to be um, timed and paced very, very well indeed. Um, we start off with one of the typical WWE, I suppose, entrance videos or opening packages. Um, again, they're, they're they're absolutely fantastic. They do these things so well that they're so good at producing these these video packages. Um, but we have the same fellow with a very deep, dramatic voice, Conrad, don't we? He's voicing us through the intro to the to the pay-per-view saying there's only going to be num- what there can only be one that goes to wrestlemania and um this is the road to 
you know, WrestleMania main event and so on. Very dramatic, deep voice. Uh, how did you find the the little video package opening up the pay per view? Um, yeah, it's always kind of nice to see like the video package. And I think the uh, the voiceover um, that they had kind of really added to kind of like the drama. Like even before we even got to any wrestling, you kind of that kind of anticipation, that hype is kind of built up, and it's like, oh, this guy, he's saying it's gonna, like, he's got a really like powerful and like commanded voice, and it's like, this is a big deal, um, and this is like a big show, and it's kind of really kind of set up as kind of to have the amount of hype around it as a Royal Rumble should. Um, yeah, really, really good stuff, and yeah, WWE aren't. There's no one better um, than them when it comes to like video production. I, I couldn't agree more. They are they are the the best at it. Even going back, you look at stuff, you know, nowadays where uh, back in the eighties, where certain aspects of certain things look a bit dated. They're they're even a cut above then um, with, with what they were doing with their production and so on. Absolutely brilliant. That bloke talking and, and a very deep dramatic voice. You're right. It really does add to the drama going in. I, I wonder if he talks like that in real life. You know? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> popping down the co-op and uh, i've got to get some milk you know really dramatic and you know think little things like that just pop in my head and just sort of make me curious so i wonder if that's how they speak in real life i kind of hope they do you know <laughs> <laughs> um, the opening contest is a title match straight off the bat and we have christian defending the ecw title against somebody i completely forgot pretty much existed sadly um ezekiel jackson uh, a couple of things really stand out to me about about this match. Um, one, I, I thought it told quite a good story with Ezekiel Jackson being the bigger, stronger, more powerful guy and Christian being the slightly, slightly quicker guy. Um, and also the actual ECW or WWE version of the ECW title belt. I've forgotten just how, how bloody beautiful that championship belt was. I, I loved that. Um, what were your thoughts on this opener? And, and did you have any better memories than I of... Uh, Ezekiel Jackson. Um, yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you. Like, yeah, I pretty much forgot that he existed, and like when it was, um, I didn't really look at the card before I started watching. I just wanted to kind of like just remember, like, um, kind of like sitting that like took it as kind of like a I'm sitting down for the first time to watch it. Um, and yeah, it was it was a decent opener. Um, I think the work on Christian's back was done well. Um, the finish was good, um, but I think Jackson kind of really looked out of his element at times. Like, um, I feel when uh, William Regal was kind of ejected from ringside, um, I feel that he didn't really kind of do much while the referee's back with the turn. And I feel that kind of as a heel, like you should be taking advantage of like every every situation possible. And kind of there was a good like minute or so um, until he kind of started to get Christian up and kind of start beating him down and he could have t- taken advantage so much more than he did. Um, but yeah, Christian uh, made it kind of somewhat worth watching, I guess. Um, and yeah, the the, uh, the finish as I mentioned was really, really good and kind of, um, I think he put over the kill switch is kind of somewhat really, really good and the fact that he doesn't have to kind of um, spend like a long time kind of rigging it up to hit it and it was just a very out of nowhere but it was it was a fun fun opener yeah and as you say i i really like the belt i've got a replica um upstairs and it is a beautiful belt you've got a replica of, of this this version of the ecw belt yeah i've got uh oh, the mini wow. replica of the, uh, <laughs> yeah i will i'll send them i'll send it to you in a little bit actually yeah yeah definitely i really like again I, I totally forgot about ezekiel jackson um which is you know not a nice thing for me to be saying to be honest but it is it's just, it, it just didn't 
resonate with me until he literally made his entrance. I had no idea who Christian was going to be facing. Same as you. I, I didn't review the card beforehand. I'd literally just press play. So when he came out, I was like, oh, yeah, this fella. Um, and then the title belt was the other sort of standout for me. And then uh, same as you, I got a note about the, the kill switch uh, being one of my favorite finishing moves. I think it just, it, it, I really enjoy that move. I think it's great. Um, Ezekiel Jackson, I mean, this, this, this paper you were looking at here uh, is 2010. Um, he made his debut sort of three years previous and, and retired five years after this. So it's not like he, he hung around for a long time. He had a bit of time in Lucha Underground, apparently. I've never seen any of Lucha Underground, so I, I'm not sure about that, but apparently he had a bit of time in Lucha Underground. But he retired in, in 2015. Um, and he now owns his own promotion out in California. So, you know, at least he's still in the business, and, and potentially if, if it's something he enjoys, he's still doing something he, he enjoys, which is, which is good for him. But, um, yeah, that was our first match. It went around 11 to 12 minutes long. Um, and we talked about the pacing a little bit earlier. And this, I think, is a good amount of time for an opening match. And it was a good pace. It was a good speed. So everything they did, there was no massive... Because, I mean, the crowd, and I suppose the people watching at home, are all incredibly excited when the show starts. Everyone's very up and ready to go. And this match, I think, did a good job of carrying that excitement through, I guess. Um, after that, we have a backstage segment where uh, Crime Time are trying to see if they can get a number each rather than just one of them entering the Rumble. Um, and we had a few other people coming on screen. And, and the one main thing that I took from this is I really want to like the great Cardi, but he just looks so uncomfortable in everything he does, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think like even when we get to like the Rumble match, which obviously we'll, uh, we'll talk about later, he just looked kind of don't know, he, he looked like a bit confused, but then like, I don't know, he, he kind of looked just out of it, which is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at least, he, don't get me wrong, he's trying, and, you know, fair play. And again, he, he comes across, like, I mean, the size of the guy, you'd hope he'd be an absolute killer in the ring, and you could really build something around him, but he never quite had that about him. And then when he went to the more comedy side of things, I really wanted that to work out because I thought that there were moments where I found him entertaining. But the fact that he does to kind of have this this kind of lost look to him, I think you've worded that quite well there, Conrad. He, he does kind of look a bit lost and a bit unsure um, at times. It, it really does make me feel, oh, I, I just think it's a bit of a shame for, for the guy. Um, but I mean, after that, we come to our next contest, which again is, a, is another title match. Um, we end up with Miz versus MVP for the United States title, which was made in the backstage segment by general manager Teddy Long. Um, moments earlier, I'm, I'm, again, I, I literally pressed play on this pay-per-view and that's that. I don't 100% know all of the storylines going into the event, but from what I can pick up on, the, the Miz is the US champion trying to avoid the title defence against MVP and now he's being made to do it completely out of the blue I'm assuming that's that's right Conrad does that sound familiar? Yeah I think it sounds pretty familiar yeah it's just kind of fit Miz and it's kind of you know, like the sneaky kind of chicken heel thing makes yeah. total sense I, can't, I honestly can't remember like the exact details but yeah it sounds about right yeah yeah definitely I mean this this is I suppose for the majority of the match, it's a very much a standard mid-card WWE match. Um, 
but both guys run through their sort sort of recognisable uh, recognisable move set. They go around seven and a half minutes here. It's nothing spectacular, but again, it's nothing nothing majorly offensive. I, I, I thought it was a decent enough contest. I, I was okay watching this. Um, you had a few near falls towards the end from a backslide. I mean, I, I, I've said it on previous shows. I don't know why, but I enjoy seeing a backslide. Nobody wins matches with a backslide anymore. I think that's a real shame. Um, Miz uh, eventually wins with a small package out of nowhere. Um, I thought it was I thought it was pretty decent all in all. Um, nothing spectacular, nothing dreadful. What, what were your thoughts on this and 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 the characters involved? Yeah, it's pretty much the same. I was kind of annoyed to see like MVP kind of dominating and then like losing, but then like kind of after the match, I kind of realised, oh yeah, that that actually makes total sense. Like um, he didn't want to defend it, and then he's kind of snuck out of properly kind of beating MVP, and then the um, obviously like the post match with um, the MV, uh, MVP hitting like the playmaker on Miz kind of sets up kind of like he keeps the storyline going, which is something that I don't think we kind of see all that much. Um, especially like how stacked cards are in like modern day WWE, like they don't really have a lot of time to kind of dedicate to um, like these sorts of kind of segments, especially like on pay, um, on pay-per-views. But yeah, this was nice. Um, MVP, as I say, looked good um, in defeat. And yeah, it's, just, it's exactly what it should have been, I think. Uh, yeah, nothing too bad at all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's funny as well, um, saying about how the moments at the end and, and how the how the match finished with Miz almost looking like he's kind of stolen the victory or a bit of a fluke manoeuvre to, to, to put oh, sorry, Vince McMahon there, didn't I? What a manoeuvre. Um, <laughs> with uh, with uh, Miz pulling off a kind of a surprise uh, roll-up or small package to get the win out of the blue and then MVP attacking him. And we, when we say about the, the furthering of storylines in that way, and not seeing it too much anymore, which is odd because earlier on we were just saying about how this pay per view seems, uh, when you look at the clock, shorter than a lot of other pay per views that they're running now. So in theory, they should have more time, but it just doesn't seem to work that way, does it? No, it's kind of like um, I guess like with the Rumble, I guess I think I prefer it kind of having like shorter matches on the undercard that it can kind of be um, kind of used to kind of give more time on like TV for. Um, like in the future, um, and kind of giving like those kind of like shorter snippets and then some longer like, on a TV product, especially when you've got people buying the pay per view for to, like a one off occasion. Um, you're going to get more viewers if you kind of keep them wanting more, which I think they did. Um, and yeah, obviously, with the Rumble, I think having given them kind of more time was the right move to make. So yeah, it makes sense that it's shorter matches. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, the following contest is another title match. And this time it's for the WWE title. We have Sheamus, uh, very early on in his WWE career here, defending the championship against Randy Orton. Um, again, it's, it's it's a decent length match. It's around 12, 12 and a half minutes again. Um, I really enjoyed this. I'm a big fan of Randy Orton anyway. Well, Randy Orton, I think, is when he's motivated and he looks like he's, he's up for something and he's obviously putting the effort in, I guess I'm, I'm a big fan of what he does. I think everything he does is so smooth and so calculated and a lot of what he does makes sense to me watching the character. And I think we saw that here as well. Um, Seamus comes out to his old music. If people can remember um, uh, that, that song he used to use, 
I think that's an absolute banger. It's a real shame he doesn't use that anymore. Uh, but yeah, then, oh, sorry, go on, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I've, um, I think he said a while ago that um, he wanted to bring it back, and I'm assuming it's going to be like a Jeff Hardy situation where if they bring it back, they're going to wait until like fans are in attendance. So, depending on this part of WrestleMania, we might be getting that theme returning. Oh, great stuff! Great stuff. I, I reckon it's a great record. I really enjoy it. Um, the match starts with Jerry Lawler making comment. Um, I suppose in a in a typical Jerry Lawler distasteful way. Um, I don't know if it is. I don't know. I, I, I weren't a fan of it anyway. Obviously, Seamus is of a very pale white Irish complexion, um, and J- Randy Orton enjoys his sunbeds. Um, we have a comment from Jerry Lawler stating, even though both of these men are Caucasian, the difference in their skin colour, blah de blah de blah. Um, sometimes Lawler is funny, sometimes Lawler cracks me up, other times Lawler makes me cringe. This is one of those moments where I think you don't you don't need to comment upon that. And I think he did get pulled up on air by Matt Stryker as well, didn't he, saying is that is that really what you're going with or is that where we're going with this? Um what were your thoughts on Matt Stryker on commentary throughout this? So there were certain times where he did come across quite quite prickly towards Cole and Lawler. Um, d- did you notice any of that? And, and what were your thoughts on Matt Stryker in general? Um, I wasn't really paying like, much attention to the commentary, but I think like the parts that I did pay attention to, it was kind of Stryker. I I like like his voice and that, and he is like a good commentator, but I think like a lot of the, um, like sometimes he kind of, kind of crossed that line from kind of, analytical thinking to kind of WWE kind of produced um, like catch lines and stuff. It, you saw it in like the Rumble match and it was like uh, calling Batista the animal and putting extra emphasis on like his nickname and it's like I don't know, it was a bit cringy but um, yeah, all in all he was kind of a nice addition um, and he kind of the three man booth kind of quietens out kind of well, obviously, Jerry Lord didn't really speak much, um, all that much, really. And um, Cole was kind of, I think him and Cole worked really, really well. Um, like that uh, striker and Cole. Um, yeah, it was just a nice addition to have. I'm never against Matt Striker on commentary. So, yeah, it was nice. He's, I think he's just got a spot commentating for Impact Wrestling now, hasn't he? Have I, did I read that right or have I read something wrong else there? I think he has um, just took over on Impact as commentator on there potentially yeah um yeah i mean good luck to the fella i mean i i remember him um working in the ring occasionally and then i think he had some backstage role and then he was a commentator um to me it's always nice putting shows on and having a random voice pop up because i mean striker i don't hear a lot of on commentary anymore in in, in 2021 i don't tend to watch a great deal of impact um, obviously, I've not watched a great deal of pay-per-views back recently from 2010, this one aside. So it's nice having an alternative voice popping up to just hearing Michael Cole shouting, oh, that's vintage, such and such, and Jerry Lawler making comments that don't age always very well. Um, going back to our, our my comments about the, the backslide, um, that we don't see a huge amount, Randy Orton busts out a spinning toehold in this contest i don't think we see that very often either do we no i think it's kind of one of those moves that kind of as wrestling's kind of become somewhat really kind of much different um now it's kind of work very much like work rate orientated and like kind of getting the most out of your minutes and there's not much kind of not a lot of that in a lot of kind of modern wrestling i don't think um yeah it's nice to see 
like moves like that and kind of uh, back, even like backslides as well that are kind of slowly being phased out being used. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and to me, it's I mean something like a backslide or an inside cradle or some of these moves that maybe don't get seen as often. Ultimately, they're pinfall attempts. And I think sometimes what performers nowadays may forget when they're trying to put on their uh, their their spot shows, uh, sorry, their, their their spot fests, their their stunt shows, their however it is. I mean, I'm I'm more than happy sitting down and watching, say, the young bucks do God knows how many flips and kicks and so on, because I do find that entertaining. However, I do find it irritating that they don't try and go for a cover more often. The whole point of a wrestling match, um, as as the viewer watching, you want to see the two guys or two teams trying to win the match that's the point you're trying to win a contest in theory so seeing backslides roll-ups quick attempts to a pin like from the Miz earlier to me that's important because it, sh- it shows you're trying to win the match and and, and it shows it, it makes sense watching the contest if you know what i mean yeah absolutely i think the kind of issue i think that kind of still up the books and I think the majority of kind of pinfalls that you'll see mainly in a match is kind of like at the beginning and you've got like that really kind of quick sequence where it's like leg sweep, quick cover, not even a counter one and then up and on the other guy. And it's just, um, I think they kind of probably, they might see it as like it slows down the momentum and it kind of slows down the pace of the match and you can just kind of cut it out and then go for like pins later. Um, yeah, I don't think it works. I think it's nice to kind of see kind of at least an attempt um to kind of put an opponent away rather than just I'm going to do all these moves for no reason and not even try and put him away when I could just save myself the effort and mm. try and pin him and yeah I totally agree with what you said have you ever seen um, Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat from Wrestlemania 3 I think we've had this conversation before Conrad to be fair yeah. um, but have you ever seen that um, I think I watched like the first kind of little bit of it and then I turned it off just okay. kind of could I couldn't get into it. Okay, we'll go back and watch that together sometime. That's a real good example of wrestlers trying to win a match and going for pinfalls. It's an absolutely fantastic contest if you if you sort of watch the whole thing and the whole story they're trying to tell. And it's a really good example of I think what what you've just said there about the bucks and pinfalls at certain times in matches and how it makes sense and how it doesn't make sense. I think it's a good example to back up what you were just saying. To be fair, so we'll go back and have a look at that sometime, my friend. But Sounds good. returning to 2010, um, Seamus works Randy Orton's arm. Randy Orton is working Seamus's knee and leg quite a bit. Um, Orton's subtle selling of the arm it, it, it is great. The way it just sort of hangs different to his other arm because that's the one he's been he's being worked on. Um, again, it's another example to me of how how talented Randy Orton can be. Um, this is around the time we had the group Legacy which was Cody Rhodes, Ted DiBiase Jr., and, and Randy Orton as the head guy. Um, they break up on this show, sadly, in my opinion, as we come to the finish when Cody comes in and hits Sheamus to try and help Orton out. Uh, the ref actually sees this. Uh, as Sheamus climbs back into the ring, Orton hits an RKO um, and has the match won, basically. But the ref disqualifies Orton because he's seen Cody's interference. I like that. That's a really clever finish. And it goes well with showing that um, Orton, is, uh, giving Orton a reason to be cross at 
Cody and the Legacy guys, because DiBiase comes down as well. Um, first of all, before we get to Legacy themselves, Conrad, what were your thoughts on the end of this match and how it was booked? Um, I, I didn't like the end at all. Like, I, oh, I, really? Okay. Yeah, I think, like, I don't like the fact that, like, non-finishes. Like, I think when done right, which this kind of was, but I, I just don't kind of see it being something that... Um, that should be like on a show like the Rumble. Like obviously it's kind of storyline progression and you get some like further down the line on say like TV or WrestleMania. Um I think it was. I think it was I think it was like a legacy triple threat or it was Cody and or and it's or something at WrestleMania. Um it's something like that. But um yeah I just don't I don't like the idea of kind of someone paying to watch your product and then not giving like a proper finish, especially for like a world title match. Like say if it was like Miz and MVP there was a DQ finish there, then I think I would have probably liked it because it kind of fit what was happening. But I think, um, I don't know, maybe like a double count out would have worked better, say like, or like a ref bump and kind of a cheat in there or whatever. And the, the decision gets overturned. I think that could have worked better, but yeah. Um, the, again, the post-match angle was good. Um, didn't take up too much time. I, in my opinion, didn't overstay its welcome. And yeah, it was just overall kind of like a good little, um, neat little package of a match. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, the psychology kind of from both guys t- kind of like um, made sense for Seamus to target the arm, obviously with the RKO, um, and then same with Orton targeting the leg to kind of limit the impact of the bro kick. Yeah, it was clever wrestling from two great workers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, oh, you're right. the The match at WrestleMania ends up being. Orton versus Cody versus Diviossi in a triple threat, I believe you're correct there. WrestleMania 26, I think we're heading towards, aren't we? Yeah. So that's obviously where we're building to. So from my standpoint, that finish does make sense to, to split or or start the split, I guess, of the legacy group. Um, I have an issue myself though with, with the legacy group splitting when they did as opposed to how they did. How they did it, I've, I've not got a problem with. But when, I thought it was a shame because I can remember watching WWE television at this time and enjoying the whole idea of legacy as a group, these second and third generation stars all together. Um, there's more that I think you could have added to that group. Um, I, I think it was a really interesting idea that they kind of ended a bit too soon. Um, what were your thoughts in general on, on the legacy faction or, or stable or whichever term you want to use? Um, yeah, I think it's kind of probably a wasted opportunity. I don't think that kind of putting Cody and um, DiBiase with kind of Orton, uh, like especially someone like Orton, who's kind of as big of a star as he as he is and was back then. Um, I thought they could have gotten both of those guys kind of more kind of over and more kind of investable for the audience if they kind of kept it a bit longer or like even if they kind of teased the split in the Rumble, say like Orton came in. Um, and then Cody and DiBiase and they go to kind of eliminate like a bunch of people and it comes down to just them in the ring. Um, and then you can kind of tease the split there and then so like they all kind of stare down and you have like someone like Cena or um, someone like that kind of come in and kind of break it all up and um, cost, say, Randy Orton the match. And you could kind of begin it from there. And yeah, um, yeah I think it could have been around a bit longer. And I think they could have done more with it, but um yeah, I'd like to see some similar like brought out, say like now with like Natalia and um, as kind of like a ringleader or um, something like that. I think it's still got like potential. Yeah, 
yeah, I agree. I think it's a real shame that they, they ended as soon as they did. Um, and you're right, there's there's plenty of second or third generation stars knocking around now. You could build a stable with. I mean, especially when you talk about someone like Natalia, who I think gets a bit of a rough ride at times. Um, I think that when you've seen in the past, maybe not as much now, because the talent in the ladies' division is um, a, a, a very high level at the moment in comparison to where it was, say, 10, 15 years ago. Um, Natalia, I think, kind of held the division together. She was the glue that held some of these less talented ladies together as a competitive division. Back when we had the likes of Alicia Fox, uh, Michelle McCall, and so on, people who could work to a degree, but maybe needed somebody in there with more ability or more experience. Um, Natalia, I think, it was very important at that time for the progression of, of women's wrestling in the WWE. Um, having her as part of some sort of group like this, I think, would have been, would be a good idea because um, it gives her something to do as well. I mean, ultimately, try it, it WWE. Just try things. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know, it's, it's you've got so much television time and you've got so much, so many names on your roster. You're not losing out on trying something new for a few weeks and seeing what happens. But then on the other side of the coin, if it is a success, don't trash it after a month. It's, it's one of those di- difficult scenarios where they don't ever quite seem to get that balance correct, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's either they kind of leave it too long and investment starts to kind of like dwindle a bit and people kind of like lose interest or they build it up to something really, really good that's white hot and then they take it away and then people get angry because they, it wasn't given enough time and... I think once they find that balance, there are so many ideas that they could kind of go with and they will make, like, they'll bring viewers back and they'll kind of make a lot of kind of new fans um, out of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Okay, well, we mentioned uh, Natalia there and and women's wrestling, I suppose, in general. Um, This brings us to our next match, which again is another championship match. this, This undercard is all title matches very much stacked in in champions showcase i guess uh, however this one this one i've got a big big issue with conrad and i'll apologize if i end up going on a bit of a rant um i'll get your thoughts first we have mickey james who i believe again is similar to natalia is a very talented lady and has done a lot for women's wrestling with regards to helping those who may be less experienced than herself in certain matches and angles. Um, she is challenging for Michelle McCool's women's title um, after a quite difficult to watch at times storyline. Um, I had forgotten a great deal about this until they reran the video package before the match. And we had... And it all came flooding back to me then. Um, we'll go to you first, Conrad, and, and give us your thoughts on, on this general scenario and the match itself. Uh, and then I'll, uh, I'll sort of contribute my, my, my thoughts on the subject as well. Uh, it was just... I was kind of... Oh, I was horrible. The storyline was absolutely kind of... It was appalling. And it was just like... Especially like, oh, be a star. Let's not bully people. And like, yeah, okay, you can kind of... That's just... I don't think you'd see someone like that with like the men's division. And I feel that's kind of something that would, for some reason that they even dis like, they even thought of doing, um, it's just, 
it was in such bad taste and it's even worse when you watch it back and it's like oh my god people thought this product was good and it and when it's bad it's absolutely awful um and the fact that it was only given like 20 seconds and then they had the uh, the post match thing with like um Michelle McCool and the uh, the pig suit thing just getting like covered in cake it was just so 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 bad and i absolutely despise the idea of kind of um storylines like this and i just think there are so many ways so many more better ways to build up a story than this this is bottom of the barrel absolute rubbish entertainment yeah i agree i agree um i'm going to give you a little bit of context now maybe a bit more of a, a personal insight into this um i can remember watching this at the time and just thinking this is hideous and my mind went to my eldest daughter who is um well at that stage what's that 2011 at that stage she would have been very very young you know but old enough to understand what she was seeing so at the time my meant my mind went to her um she would watch the occasional bit of wwe tv with me as a youngster and I remember feeling awkward watching that with her at the time. Um, now, watching back in 2021, uh, my two youngest daughters actually were watching this event with me today. Now, let's put this into context, okay? My middle daughter, she is 14 in about a week and a half. So she's at senior school. Yeah. Um, and... Obviously, Conrad, that's closer to your age than my own, so you'll have memories of senior school in that time period that may be more fresh in the minds than myself. Um, but I can remember senior school being a horrible time for me, um, being very paranoid about certain things. Um, I had quite bad skin and, and so on that I was bullied for extensively, and it, it was a, not a pleasant time in my life. My daughter, thankfully, hasn't had any issues like that, but she will stress out if her hair is not exactly how she wants it before going to school through fear of being a little different or fear of people laughing because her hair is different or styled in a different way. And it's that mentality, I believe, that is ignored and virtually spat upon by the WWE here. The, the bullying mentality in this whole angle is disgusting it's an absolute disgrace and i'm not one of those that looks at certain certain things and goes well no there are occasions where i am you look at certain things on wwe television i'll use joe laura as an example certain things he would say with regards to puppies and um diva contestants strolling around in swimsuits or whatever it may well be during the attitude era and so on and yes it doesn't age well yes it's distasteful and you think okay it was a different time they don't do that now so you can not defend it fully, but kind of maybe understand because it was a different time. This was 11 years ago. And you can't think to yourself, they don't do this now. Because we had something very similar with Alexa Bliss picking on Nia Jax only, what, a couple of years ago. So it's not something that they've completely discarded as, oh, that was how things were back then. This is something that they did then and something they have done again recently. Now, just to put into context what we're talking about, 
Mickey James was basically being bullied in a sort of mean girls style, as they referred to it on TV. Michael Cole used that term by Michelle McCall and her friend uh, Layla, I believe her name was. Yep. Um, they were calling her Piggy James, which is bad enough. They're digging at an individual about their appearance, which is horrific. And on this instance, they're digging at a lady about her weight. They're referring to her as Piggy James. Um, Layla comes out in what can only be described as a fat suit, a sort of big comedy outfit with uh, Mickey James's ring gear replicated upon it, acting gross. There's an occasion where backstage they give her food vouchers for smaller portions, almost like one of these um, to-your-door diet delivery companies, I guess, um, which, again, is absolutely disgusting. They're wearing T-shirts that say Piggy James on them. Um, they force-feed her cake in the ring on one episode of SmackDown, I believe. Um, Michelle McCall has a video of herself walking um, in front of a, a sort of cartoon farm, singing songs about Piggy James, and they have Mickey James's face upon a pig. Um, now, just put all that into context, and, and sorry, at the beginning of the match on the Rumble itself, McCall comes out, runs her mouth in a very distasteful promo, and calls Mickey James to come out and makes digs like, can anyone find her, please? Is she still at the hot dog stand again? And all this sort of stuff. Um, eventually, Layla comes out again in Mickey James's fat suit. Um, and then we get Mickey James come out and, and beat them both up, win the match in 20 seconds, and supposedly get her revenge. Okay, so but maybe the motivation is, oh, she got her revenge, she got one over on the bullies. But you've got a 20-second moment of a very poor effort at redemption for the victim in this scenario on a pay-per-view that not everyone's going to see when you have spent weeks and weeks and weeks mean girling, as Michael Cole said, bullying this lady for her appearance. Now, again, I want to put this into context. Mickey James is not a big girl. Mickey James is not... The, the whole thing is ridiculous. Mickey James is a very athletic individual. I think she's a very attractive lady. She looks great, as, as many of the women working for WWE do, or all of the women working for WWE do. The fact that they're singling out Mickey James, who looks that way, who looks in very, very good shape, and is in no way, stretch of the imagination, a big girl, or a fat girl, or a large girl, or however you want to word it, and they're calling her Piggy James, and calling her fat, and saying she needs to eat less. I'm sat there, watching this video package, and this match, with my 11-year-old daughter and my 14-year-old daughter. Um, I'm sat there and I'm cringing at the disgust that I'm seeing on my screen. You know, I I cannot justify it at all. I cannot understand why the hell they would think this is good creative, why this is good storytelling. Ultimately, wrestling is a business. I can guarantee you this did not sell one damn ticket or one damn pay-per-view. No one bought a ticket or a pay-per-view buy to see this. It's disgusting. And you've got young girls who are already body conscious and young girls who are already worried about their appearance in a cruel world with internet bullying, bullying at school, people desperate to fit in. Young people who already stress about being different, seeing a lady who is effectively a beautiful woman on television being called fat and piggy and warned about how much she eats and so on. What kind of message is that sending to the, not only the youth of America that WWE, I suppose is primarily aiming their programming at there and then, but 
people like my daughters sat watching now. And people like my daughter sat watching initially in 2010. It's disgusting. And in my opinion, yes, you've got Katie Vick and various other things. In my opinion, this sort of thing is the worst of WWE. This is the worst you see Vince McMahon and his company promote. And I'm, I honestly it turned my stomach, Conrad. Yeah, I'm absolutely agreed. Like my sister is, um, she's coming up to 13 now and she's kind of been picked on about her way at school before. And just watching this, and um, I think I remember, if I remember correctly, this was, for some reason, and as you said, Mickey James is not fat at all. Um, apparently, this was a way of publicly shaming Mickey James into losing weight that she didn't need to lose. So, not only is it in like a bad taste, but you, like, you could have, as um, as I said, like you could have built it up in such a different way that would have been so much better, and it might have actually brought tickets. Um, and instead, you kind of. You've given like weeks worth of build, about twenty seconds worth of in-ring payoff, um, which again is kind of crapping on the women's division. Obviously, like women's wrestling's not uh, wasn't how it is now back then, um, but it's just ridiculous. Like you dedicate about five minutes to that segment, and I swear that the Autumn Legacy post-match before went on for longer, um, and it's just it's so ridiculous, and it honestly made me feel sick. And I, I think my sister. I looked over at her like once or twice and she was gladly she wasn't really paying attention, but like the bits where she did look up and she looked a bit uncomfortable, I was like, oh great. So yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. And um and the fact that they went back to that kind of idea um just what four years ago, um, in the time of like the women's revolution, it's just it's absolutely appalling from WWE. And yeah, they it should have been done so much differently. Yeah, it's a disgrace for a company that is so anti bullying. Again, I can understand maybe they're looking at it as well. The bullies got their comeuppance in the end. But I'm calling bullshit on that. This is disgusting, horrid, non-entertainment, um, bullying on television. That, in my opinion, and again, if I'm wrong, I apologise. But in my opinion, this is for an audience of one. And it's for someone who normally I try and defend quite a bit in Vince McMahon. Because I think he gets a rough ride from people who, who have their own shows, such as myself and talk on Twitter and Facebook and so on. I normally try and defend Vince McMahon to a degree because he, he's, he's the most successful wrestling promoter of all time, regardless of what people think about him. Now, you've got to look back at what he has done. He's incredible. But this kind of nonsense, this kind of bullshit, is for an episode of what is for, sorry, an audience of one, you know? And he's finding this great. He's finding this funny. And I think that's fucking disgusting. And I'm going to have to go back now tomorrow during my editing and beat this out because it's got me so wound up. But then... <laughs> <laughs> there we go. In fact, we're just going to move on. I think Conrad, because it it really boiled my boiled my blood watching that nonsense with my two young girls and having a throwback to my eldest daughter watching it back at the time as well. Absolutely disgusting. And I hope WWE doesn't ever revisit anything like that. But there we go. Let's move on. Our next contest we have the Undertaker facing Rey Mysterio for the World Heavyweight Championship. Um, this goes just a touch over 11 minutes. Um, what were your thoughts on this this match we had here? And I suppose the build-up to it um, with regards to uh, the ultimate underdog, I suppose some people may refer to him as, uh, the, the, the little guy, Rey Mysterio, going up against, if in, in wrestling world, a giant of The Undertaker. Yeah, I think they kind of build, and like looking at it on paper, I was like, okay, this is going to be like, this isn't going to be like a bad match and be quite good. Um, I think kind of leading it in with what they did lead, lead it in with, there was still kind of like a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. And I was like, Oh, 
it's kind of put a damper on the whole show. But um, yeah, this was really, really good. Um, probably the best match of the night in terms of non-Rumble matches. Um, yeah, it was really, really good. Um, I think I would have liked it a bit more if it went just a little bit longer. Um, I think they timed kind of the comeback stuff well from Ray and those kind of, oh, we could have a little bit of hope of being in the Undertaker. And then obviously the, um, I wasn't too sure about the finish um, with kind of Ray hitting like two six one nines and then the Undertaker kind of getting straight back up and, you know, winning. But um, I guess that kind of fits his character as kind of like some undead kind of beast and you're not going to be able to beat him. Um, and he's obviously like the bigger guy as well. Um but yeah, some of the bumps that Ray was taking, like the uh, the one at the start where he gets just thrown over the top rope with oh, yeah. such ease, and uh, it was really um, both guys played their role really, really well. And yeah, they put on a really, really good match, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. It, again, it was quite well paced because they weren't out there for long. Let's be honest. What was it, eleven minutes ish? Which is, yeah. tends, tends to be the women's match aside. You tend to find that's the the sort of going rate, 11 to 12 minutes for most of these these matches on the undercard. Um, I suppose that's why it felt so well-paced, because you, you these matches were long enough to develop a bit of a story, but not just too long to overstay their welcome. Um, the, the sort of big guy versus little guy story was well done, with The Undertaker throwing Ray around with ease, and, and Ray trying to use his speed and his quickness to, to gain an advantage himself. Um... Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I totally forgot this match happened at all. I, I can never, until the, the moment this came on my screen, remember Rey Mysterio wrestling The Undertaker. I guess it's just something I may, may have blacked out, sort of blocked out of my memory, um, tagged along with the fat-shaming exploits of the previous contest. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> or body-shaming, I should, whatever. Um, yeah, it, I, I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed it. it was good. They told a good story. It was good, well-paced. It was a decent match, and The Undertaker ultimately, um, adding to the story of the Rumble itself, retains the world title, Conrad. Yeah, I was, um, I was surprised. I think I was on the same boat as you. I kind of forgot that it kind of um, that this even took place. I kind of remember Mania 26, and I think the world title match was like Edge versus Chris Jericho or something like that. You are so correct, to kind yeah. of see... Yeah, it kind of felt a bit kind of out of place. It's like, okay, so if Undertaker's world champion now, then how does he lose it? But then I remember um, I went back and looked and it was, uh, I think it was Elimination Chamber and Shawn Michaels kind of completely lost the plot and he was kind of desperate to get his rematch with Undertaker and he screwed him out of the, the uh, title. So, if only we got stories telling like that these days, eh? Um, oh, but yeah, it was, yeah, yeah good, good match and yeah, um, pretty good considering I forgot it existed. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, I mean, now we've got that, that, that's kind of it for the matches um, building up to the, the the main event, I guess, of, of the Raw Rumble itself. Last show on the card. Um, you touch upon it there. Uh, a big story going into the Rumble event was we're sort of in the middle of the two classic Shawn Michaels Undertaker WrestleMania matches here. The first one at 25, and this is the Rumble taking us into WrestleMania 26. Um, Shawn Michaels, uh, as Conrad said, desperate to win uh, so desperate to go up against the Undertaker again, saying, "I know I can beat you. I just need another chance." Um, and that's the, he sees the Royal Rumble and, and winning the Rumble as his way of booking his ticket to Mania to face the Undertaker. To the point where the World Title is almost, 
I suppose, a, a, a bonus to him, a secondary force, because he's just thinking match with The Undertaker. That's his main his main thing. And it, I think it makes for a really interesting story going into the Rumble, that extra with Shawn Michaels wanting The Undertaker. Um, yeah, so here we are, the, the actual Rumble itself. I mean, I think we have quite a good opening with Dolph Ziggler and Evan Bourne. Lots of high-flying athletic moves to start off, getting everyone off their seat. Um, and then we have, I think, the star of the early part of this rumble, at least. Um, CM Punk makes his entrance. Um, do you want to talk us through a little bit about, about CM Punk in the rumble, Conrad, and, and what we saw there? Yeah, I absolutely love CM, love CM Punk in general, but this was kind of... It was very, very good. Um, I think like the whole Sermon on the Mount and... Um, like how dominant he was until kind of like Triple H came out um, and obviously eventually eliminated him. And it was really, really good that kind of um, he kept up with like the straight edge society stuff. And um, I think some wrestlers probably wouldn't have been able to even like cut a promo. She saw how out of, out of breath Punk was starting to get after like just a little bit of, uh, I think it was Zack Ryder that was, um, that kind of actually made him work a bit. And yeah, it was, really really good and um him trying to like continue his own kind of storyline really kind of gave the rumble direction i guess and we we're kind of uh, kind of anticipating oh who's going to be the one to kind of not this guy who's perched and you thought it was great carly and then obviously he got eliminated and then triple h came out and you're like is it going to be triple h or is punk going to really kind of get himself um over and kind of eliminate kind of like one of the clear favorites to win um and yeah it was just really really good and i, I did kind of I was a bit upset when he went out because the rumble kind of, I think he kind of lost direction a little bit. Um, and there wasn't really much to talk about until I think HBK and Cena came out. Um, and it was, yeah, I think Punk emptying the ring kind of stayed for the pr- pretty much the, uh, pretty much the entirety of the rest of the match. Like there weren't more than kind of six or seven guys in the ring if that um at any one time it was it was weird in that respect you normally expect like the rumble to kind of be like really packed up with guys but yeah punk's work was excellent um then ex- pretty much exactly what you'd expect from um a wrestler of his talent yeah definitely definitely he's left on his own in the ring um gets the microphone from uh serena deeb who is now i believe she still holds the nwa women's title at the time of recording um, has been working for um, AEW as well. And we have people coming down and Punk eliminating them quick and getting the microphone back and ranting about going to WrestleMania and trying to save people. The, the whole Straight Edge Society gimmick I thought was awesome. Uh, and Punk looks great here as well. He's he's filled out a bit from his early WWE days where he looks a bit slight, but he's still got the long hair and so on. He's got a few more tattoos. He looks, he looks like a main eventer to me here. Um... We then get the great Carly coming down as the next entrant. Punk looks genuinely concerned about this. Obviously, the guy's an absolute giant. Um, we then have Beth Phoenix coming out into the Rumble, and she goes after Carly and ends up eliminating the great Carly by uh, the deadly, you know, lip lock hold. I suppose you might refer to it as kissing <laughs> him over the rope, and he tumbles away, and uh, and then Punk eliminates Beth Phoenix. Um, what, what were your thoughts on that, Conrad? The whole Beth Phoenix entrance to the Rumble? Um, only the second lady to ever be part of, of the contest after China. Um, her interaction with Carly, and then eventually Punk clearing the ring again. Yeah, I think it was it was fun. But at the same time, it was kind of... 
watching it with like 2021 kind of uh, mindsets about the world. Um, I feel it's a kind of a bit cheap to have Beth kind of just kiss him and um, like eliminate him like that. Um, I was surprised that she got hit with the GTS and that looked, oh, it just didn't look nice at all. It looked quite, quite <laughs> no. kind of vicious and it was like, oh my God, he's actually hit Beth with this. And uh, but yeah, it's really, really great to see, um, to see Beth and kind of women's wrestling being represented. Um, and for her to get an elimination kind of showed that, um, that women were just as good as men and obviously like now some of us do uh, hold like the opinion that in a lot, um, a lot of cases they are actually better than the men um this is something that you're um, the case. a bit more clued up on than, than myself because there's there's promotions in japan isn't there that are literally just uh, women's wrestling promotions and, yeah. and you watch a few of those don't you i mean sort of fill me in a little bit about about that because that's a completely different scene to what i'm used to yeah, so it's kind of like, um, I don't know, I think it's the, the fact that they kind of have like, um, I think women's wrestling in Japan, like for the most part, is kind of trained by women. And um, I think I watched the documentary. I think it's, I think the whole series is on all four. Um, it's called The Wrestlers and it's by uh, Vice. And um, I, I recommend that if uh, you haven't seen it, it's really good. Um, but I think they said that they kind of took a similar approach to how WWE did, uh, got their women's talent. So like uh, bikini models and kind of swimsuit uh, models and stuff. Um, and then kind of they got a different kind of result. Um, and now you kind of see kind of the women doing uh, slowly growing a lot of popularity. I know Stardom, like the biggest women's promotion in Japan. And they're running uh, the Nippon Budokan in March, which is 10,000 seats. Um, which is really kind of impressive. And yeah, it's really kind of in a boom period, I guess, at the minute. You've got a lot of women's promotions and more women kind of getting into wrestling. And even like men, uh, male promotions are kind of doing their bit to um, hold, will kind of get more female, uh, more women like through the door of their shows. Um, and yeah, it's kind of really cool to see like women's wrestling, uh, like not just in Japan, but across the world, kind of getting kind of like more respected and more focused to kind of get more women in the business. Yeah. Great stuff. Okay. I mean, is there any, um, streaming services or any promotions in particular you could recommend to someone such as myself? who wouldn't really know where to start. Um, I think, uh, I think like sports entertainment wise, I think like stardom would be good. Um, but in terms of like kind of like pure kind of wrestling, I've enjoyed, um, a promotion called seedling and, uh, I'll, I'll put out a link to um, this website. It's called a, a Paste Bin, and uh, this guy Robert and he puts like links of kind of uh, show airings. And um, there's also like Nico Pro, but I don't have that, so I I wouldn't really know where to start. And kind of, um, but I know a lot of kind of uh, Joshy uh, Joshy Pro Wrestling shows are kind of aired on that, and it's about a fiver, I think. Oh right, what per month? You mean? Uh, yeah, and I think you get a, I think you get a fair bit, and uh, other than like some kind of some promotions where you kind of have to pay a little bit extra, but yeah, from what I've heard, it's really cheap and um, it's worth kind of having like not as good accessibility as say like WWE Network or uh, even New Japan World. Hmm. Okay, brilliant. I'll, I'll have a look out for that. I'm, I'll know that I have to message you again uh, after the show to get a few links and whatnot. But no, thank you very much. I hope anyone else listening who's got an interest in that that sort of thing takes the jump and gives it a trial and, and let's let us know what you think on the show uh, at sjp wrestling pod uh, we're turning back to the 2010 rumble then 
Um, we have Triple H make his entrance. Um, Triple H facing off with CM Punk in the ring is something I look at and just think, man, if that was to happen now, that'd be so good. What they could do with the storyline now with Punk and Triple H would be would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Blurring the lines between what happened uh, uh, and you know the sort of kayfabe side of things as well. I think that'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I remember um, Punk on Colt Cabana's podcast, and he said uh, that the, the original plan, actually, for WrestleMania 30 was um, Orton Batista in the main event. Like, no mention of Daniel Bryan, but it was meant to be Punk and Triple H. And um, and to kind of have that out in the public and Punk saying that he didn't, uh, to quote him here, um, I didn't want to give him the fucking privilege or something like that. Um, <laughs> and I think having that kind of now and including that in kind of storyline would be really, really good. Um, I think they could put on like a good kind of story-based match, even though both of them probably can't work as well as what they did back then. Mm, yeah. I mean, we get Drew McIntyre uh, coming out as well, um, looking very, very different to the individual that we see as our champion at the time of recording. Um, much more of a baby-faced and a slight-of-body competitor, I guess. He looks incredibly different to, to what we see now. Um, and then we have somebody who looks exactly the same as then as they do now. And that's John Morrison. I swear this fella, he must be a vampire or something, Conrad. Because he looks, I mean, this is 11 years ago now. And he still looks exactly the same now. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, he doesn't age. Like if, I think if he kind of, like not even his beard now, and you can, you just, he looks the same. Like just maybe like a little bit older, but like not like 10 years on. Nah, it's insane. The man doesn't age, and it's mental. Yeah, it does. It, it, it's it's funny. It's very it's very odd to see. Um, I wish I could have some of whatever he's drinking. Put it that way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, a little side note here that actually comes from my daughter uh, watching this with me. Triple H came in at number eight, and as he came in at number eight, the commentators made comment to it being his eighth pay per view. Uh, sorry, his eighth Royal Rumble appearance. And Kane then makes his entrance, who has a fantastic record in Royal Rumbles. Uh, Kane makes his entrance at number 12. And my little girl pointed out there, well, he's coming in at number 12. And, and the commentator has also said that's his 12th appearance as well. So she pointed out, what, Triple H is coming in at 8, and it's his 8th appearance. And blah, 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 blah. I, thought, I thought that was quite amusing that my daughter noticed that. And, and quite cool little numbers-wise thing for someone like me, who's, who's a bit of a geek numbers-wise. I don't know why I get a little kick out of stuff like that, but there we go. Um, the ring starts to fill up uh, again here. We have Cody Rhodes come down. Um, again, looking quite different to what we see now. A big thing with Cody Rhodes at this era, Conrad, that I don't know why it irritates me as much as it does, but he's just he wears no knee pads. So I, I think if you're wearing trunks or shorts as a wrestler, knee pads are important because you basically go from, if you're in your trunks and you have knee pads, you're a wrestler. If you're in the trunks with no knee pads, you look like a man in pants. Do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, kind of. I think the only wrestler that I kind of appreciate like not wearing knee pads is Zack Sabre Jr. But I think that's because I've kind of seen him not wear knee pads like the entire time, the, um, the entirety of like the time I've been watching him. Um, and yeah, like Cody, he's, he just looks like strange. Like his his boots are like a bit short, and he's got kind of like a kind of like um built up like upper half of his body and it just looks really kind of out of proportion i guess and um yeah you should have worn knee pads it just doesn't look right yeah yeah it's um very much i suppose at this time 
um, trying to find himself character-wise, I guess. Um, we have MVP making his entrance to the Rumble. He's jumped from behind by The Miz. Uh, the Miz then makes his entrance, and MVP returns the favour, um, and we end up with both being eliminated at this stage as, as they scrap to the floor. And then we get Shawn Michaels uh, making his entrance to the match to a great crowd reaction. Um, Shawn Michaels and Triple H go on a bit of a rampage then, Conrad, and clear the ring, don't they? Yeah, it was really, really good stuff. Um, I think Michaels kind of injected life into the rumble after um, after Punk was eliminated. I feel that kind of, as soon as he came out, it's like, okay, they're going to focus on this and it's going to give me something to kind of care about rather than, oh, look, they're like Drew McIntyre has been eliminated or, um, or John Morrison's out and it's like, there's something to focus on throughout and it's like, will Michael do it? Um, and will he kind of get that? And um, obviously like the stare down with Triple H and it's like, and they do tease it and it's like, well, is, um, is Michael's going to, you know, turn on Triple H to kind of get his shot or um, is it going to be the other way around? And yeah, it's really, really, um, really, really good stuff. And Michael's was probably the best guy um, in the entire thing. Probably, Punk was second, and yeah, it's insane. Yeah, I think so. Um, he's the pardon the pun. He he is for me the MVP of of this Royal Rumble match with his story of wanting to get to Undertaker and the way he just bumps around as well. I mean, he's he's always been a bump machine, hasn't he? And I'm a big Shawn Michaels fan, as as, as everyone knows. Um, so I always just enjoy watching Shawn work. Uh, and then here comes uh, John Cena. And they are, um, he's he's involved in a uh, back and forth with Triple H and uh, Shawn Michaels um, until eventually Shawn eliminates Triple H, doesn't he? Which is a bit of a, a bit of a shock, but I thought it was very well done. Yeah, I think they timed it right, um, and the fact that kind of he eliminated one of kind of like probably the biggest guy apart from Cena at that kind of point in the Rumble, it's like okay, he might actually do it. Um, yeah, I think he was kind of always. It kind of felt natural. I thought he kind of could feasibly have won it. Um, but at the same time, it was like, it's either it's going to be Michaels or Cena. Um, and yeah, I think they just, the whole, Michaels and Triple H just, you can tell how close they are. They just put on, it's just so great whenever they work together, even if it's like for like a little thing like this uh, in, in the Rumble that won't really matter like half an hour on. Mm, yeah. And, and the, the match does become more and more about Shawn Michaels for the next few minutes with his uh, eliminations and people trying to eliminate him. Um, and and they, again, Shawn bumping all over the place. It, it, it's, it's a real highlight of this match. Um, R-Truth comes out and eliminates Mark Henry and The Big Show at the same time, which I got a little bit of a kick out of. I quite enjoyed seeing that. And then we get the big return, don't we? Um, well, the first, I suppose, big return of this this gentleman's career uh, at the time of recording, Edge's Royal Rumble return that you know everyone remembers now uh, was a year ago today. Um, a fantastic reaction uh, and quite an emotional moment for for everyone who who's an Edge fan uh, when he returned at last year's Royal Rumble. But this show is kind of similar. He's been out for quite a while, hasn't he, Conrad? And and he makes a surprise Royal Rumble return again here, at Edge. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a great, on a side note, it was kind of like a great call from uh, Matt Stryker as well, kind of putting over how 
like insane it is for Edge to be there. And he's like, well, yeah, they said it was he was meant to be out for like fourteen months or something, and then it's only been about eight. Um, and then I think I think Jericho's already in at this point. And you kind of just see the look in his eyes, and it's like, oh my god, like. Um, and the, obviously, like the whole story at WrestleMania was um, the split of Edge and Jericho, and um, I think that kind of kickstarted it really, really well. And um, yeah, his return was insane. Obviously, like not not quite the level of noise that his return um, like last year got, but then it was a much smaller venue, I think, and uh, he wasn't kind of retired for the best part of a decade. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, you are right, Jericho is the one who reacts and they catch his face on camera brilliantly with Edge's return, uh, looking shocked and wondering what the hell's going on sort of thing. Um, Jericho is quite quickly eliminated after this moment. And we have a final four for the Royal Rumble. Again, final fours are always spoken about, aren't they? You can To the point where you can even go on betting sites and, uh, and, and place bets on who your final four are going to be, which always tickles me on a predetermined contest. But there we go. Your final four of the 2010 Royal Rumble is Edge, Batista, John Cena, and Shawn Michaels. All four of them very high-profile individuals. All four of them, storyline-wise, you can make a case for going to WrestleMania and having a world title match, and even potentially going to WrestleMania and winning a world title. So to me, when it comes down to the final four, I think that makes perfect sense, Conrad. It's very important storytelling-wise, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was kind of one of the more stacked final fours and you could easily buy any of these guys kind of they've all technically got a reason i guess and um i think like edge obviously looking to kind of come back and kind of make a statement from the the off and john cena's you know john cena um same with batista and michael's obviously the little bonus of um the world title match against the undertaker and that one more chance that he's been looking for and um yeah perfect final four i think for this match um, maybe Triple H could have stayed in, but yeah, I'm not complaining either um, about any of those. It's really, really good stuff. Yeah, I agree, mate. I agree. And then we get to the moment that I think surprised a lot of people. Um, it surprised my daughters watching back, considering they were fully invested in the storyline of, of, of not knowing who wins this Rumble, because they were very... I'm Charlie, my youngest. She, um, she would have been about a month old when this Rumble happened. So she definitely didn't know the stories and where we were going. Shawn Michaels gets eliminated. Um, and uh, I remember watching this live at the time, a big Shawn Michaels fan, and thinking that's the only way they can go. Surely Michaels wins the Rumble and faces Taker at Mania. That's the only way I thought they would be going. Um, so when Shawn was eliminated, I was as stunned as the people sat around me today re-watching, well, them watching for the first time. Um, he gets in the ring and loses the plot a little bit, super kicks a few referees and so on. Um, how do you think this was handled? I, again, I, I'm a big fan of Sean. I, I personally thought it was very good. Yeah, I really liked the way that they handled it. Um, obviously, I kind of, I jumped out of my seat a little bit, like, um, when Michael's got eliminated, I was like, oh, no, they like, you kind of feel bad for him and you kind of like look at him and the way that the camera kind of doesn't really cut away from him all that much, especially when he walks up the ramp. Then obviously, like, there's going to be stuff going on in the ring, but it focuses on him. Um, like walking up the ramp and like he's really well lit and it's kind of got like um, there's like a darkness over his face it's kind of really 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 well kind of produced um, like really really put uh, really well put together kind of moment of he looks sad um, he's completely legit and he's muttering to himself and then you kind of just see him walking away from the camera and it's absolutely brilliant 
Um, and I'm, as a media student, I've kind of look, I really appreciate how well they've uh, handled it, and it's kind of WWE production at its best. Um, and yeah, that really kind of bought my investment um, in the the Michaels Taker match that I knew was coming. Um, and yeah, it's just really really great. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. Again, it's where I think WWE. A lot of the time, I think WWE look at themselves as a TV show as opposed to a wrestling show. And I think this is an occasion where that viewpoint is a plus rather than the usual negative because it was filmed uh, and done so well. So, no, I agree with you. Um, John Cena eliminates Dave Batista, who was responsible for Shawn Michaels' elimination. The crowd pop huge for Cena eliminating Batista. It was a real, real big deal. And then virtually straight away, Edge puts John Cena out and Edge is on his way to WrestleMania. He wins the 2010 Royal Rumble. How did you think this closing, I suppose, 90 seconds went? Um, yeah, I kind of forgot that there was actually a rumble going on. Like Michael's, uh, the whole Michael stuff kind of really captivated me. And I was like, then they come back to the ring. And I was like, oh, okay. Like they've still got people here. Um, and then Edge eliminating John Cena. It's kind of really, really quick. And then just the way that the crowd exploded, and it's like, you know what, Michael's not winning is fine. Because um, surely, like, the Elimination Chamber is an option for him. And um, it's really uh, just hearing the reaction for Edge and just seeing the look on his face and knowing that it's going to be against Jericho is just perfect winner, I think. I, I don't think they would have had the same effect if it was, say, uh, Cena or Batista. Um, really good winner. I think it felt, felt natural. Not like when... Um, in 2012 when Sheamus won it and everybody thought Jericho was winning it um, and they kind of changed it from Jericho uh, to Sheamus because they didn't want to make it predictable um, but yeah they kind of handled it really really well and yeah perfect and into a really really uh, a good rumble but an odd one simply because like there weren't many people in the ring at the same time yeah yeah I think this is very much the even though Edge was the making the big surprise return, and it was a huge surprise at the time, it was similar to, to last year's when you didn't really think it was going to happen. Um, and Edge obviously then went on to win the Rumble, which is a huge deal. It's a, it's a massive. You go into WrestleMania for the World Championship. That's a big, big thing. Um, it still felt to me like this was very much a vessel of Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker's story, um, which again it worked very very well and it sets up where okay where are we going to go next you know what happens next and it makes me want to want to tune in to monday night raw makes me want to watch smackdown and the next pay-per-view potentially which was the elimination chamber to see where we go next where is Shawn michaels going to go at wrestlemania who is going to face the undertaker who is edge going to choose and, and so on that's to me what does sell tickets that's to me what does bring in tv um tv views or viewer figures uh, pay-per-view buy rates and so on not bloody body shaming and all that nonsense not thinking about um delicate individuals at home who may be getting very upset with what they're seeing and force feeding somebody cake and calling her a pig and so on none of that crap that doesn't make money that doesn't sell tickets that's not professional wrestling that's that's bullshit this here with Shawn michaels the undertaker edge returning and making me want to tune in in the future to see where we go, building on the, I suppose, to coin a cheesy catchphrase, the road to WrestleMania. To me, is what, what professional wrestling does well. It's what the WWE does well, Conrad. Yeah, absolutely. When WWE kind of gets in order, 
and that is like um, obviously kind of depending on which side you choose, I guess. Then uh, it's really, really good. Like when when they do stuff right, it's great. But when they do stuff uh, do do bad things, like the Mickey James stuff, it's bad. Um, but yeah, this was WWE's absolute best, um, and probably my favourite Rumble besides maybe two. 2001. Oh, really? Okay. That's that's very interesting. Ah, see, that's the next thing we come to, I guess. We we always, whenever I have people on looking at old shows, uh, I always ask for um, an old school, an old fashioned kind of school grading system. Um, if this is your favourite rumble, I'm assuming you're going to grade it fairly high. Um, what are your what are your thoughts? Um. So I think I'll grade it like a B minus. Um, I think if there was kind of more direction throughout the entire rumble, rather than the kind of like that window between Punk being eliminated and Sean coming in um, and kind of doing something that wasn't what they did with the women's title and maybe the Undertaker and Mysterio um, a bit more time, then yeah, I think it would have been an A, probably best rumble for me but yeah be, um, I'll give it a B minus for now just because there were kind of like a few minor things and the uh, the women's title match loses it a lot of points yeah I, I think I agree with you there to be honest I enjoyed the rumble um, again it's a very personal thing for me I guess because I'm a huge Shawn Michaels fan so that's always I, I always enjoy things that he's a big part of I, I enjoyed the rumble I'm a big punk fan I thought the punk stuff in the beginning was fantastic the finish was great. Edge's surprise, uh, surprise return was awesome. I remember watching it live and enjoying it so much at the time. Um, so the Rumble itself, I thought, was was good. I really enjoyed that. The undercard, on the whole, I thought was good. It was well-paced. The matches didn't overstay their welcome, which sometimes they can do. Um, if anything, a couple of them could have, could have gone on a little bit longer for me, maybe. So that shows I was enjoying them, I guess. Um, so on that basis, I'd like to grade this show relatively high. However, my little rant earlier on in the episode shows that I'm, I'm not capable of doing that because of what happened in the build-up to the women's match. Um, and the build-up was obviously shown on the event. To me, that lowers lowers the pay-per-view. It lowers what was my enjoyment of what I was watching. Um, I shouldn't be sat watching a professional wrestling event um, with my with any of my children or any of my family, especially my two youngest daughters, and being concerned about them being upset by what they're seeing on the screen, or have being even upset for other reasons triggered by what they're seeing on the screen. So, and again, I, I want to very quickly say, if anyone was upset with my little rant earlier on, I, I apologise. Um, okay, I used a bit of bad language there. Sorry, mum. Um, but it's just I'm quite passionate about that sort of thing, and it it does really does boil my blood. But because of that, I, I can't grade the event as highly as I potentially could have on the, the quality of the rumble and the quality of some of the undercard matches. I'm going to go maybe a smidge lower than you, Conrad, my friend, and maybe go for a C plus. And I think that's a real shame because if he removed all the nonsense with Michelle McCall and Mickey James and and the cake and everything. This could have been up there. This could have been a B plus. This could have been an A minus. This could have been up there with some of the better Rumble shows and some of the better pay per views that, that I've watched on the SJP Wrestling Podcast. But I feel so strongly about the whole uh, body shaming and bullying and 
abuse basically that we witnessed in the women's contest that it, it gets downgraded quite a bit by me which is a shame for the other people on the card but there we go I suppose they got paid they probably don't care but the WWE Vince probably didn't care but there we go um Conrad, thank you so, so much for joining me once again on the show. It's always an absolute pleasure having you on. I think the fact that you're a very intelligent, well-informed wrestling fan, but very much from, I suppose, a different time period uh, uh, to myself. I'm, I'm, you know, a a little bit older than you. Won't go too much into numbers, but, you know, I'm a a smidge older than you, shall we say. (laughs) Um, It's great having a conversation with yourself and looking at events through your eyes, whereas you might form a different opinion to myself um, based upon age and personal tastes and so on. So I really, really enjoy every time you come on. I, I cannot wait to have you back on again. We'll have to dig out something for you to watch again with me uh, and have you back on as soon as possible. Um, before I let you, you go, my friend, can you please tell everybody where they can find you on the interweb with all your... Uh, social media links and your fantastic website and writings please yeah of course um before that though thank you again for having me back on um it was really fun and uh, i think i share the kind of same kind of sentiment that you do it's kind of always fun um hearing someone that's kind of grew up with like a different era of wrestling and kind of has like a different kind of philosophy as what it um as to what it could be or what it should be and it kind of opens my eyes and i've learned a lot from being on this show and kind of watching uh, older stuff and i've kind of got like a newer appreciation for um like wrestling from like a period like eras that maybe i'm not kind of as familiar with so um yeah thank you and this was uh this was really delightful again um it always is very point, and very um yeah um and yeah you can find me on social media uh at l compact two newt uh that's like two as in uh t-i-i so just like like my old app basically but instead of an o uh the end of l compacto just two eyes um and then chops kicks and nearfalls you can follow that um at ck nearfalls uh the website's chops kicks and nearfalls.com um and yeah this was um let's say this was a lot of fun so yes yeah, i thanks for having me back on um yeah we'll have to have you back on talk at the table or yeah something yeah, in the yeah, future yeah, yeah. yeah. I, i've spoken to matt recently and obviously i do chain wrestling every week uh with our good friend mags that's at chain underscore wrestling if anyone's interested in another show i take part in it's it's, it's a good bit of fun um and they they mentioned me coming back on talk at the table uh whenever i speak with them as well mate just let me know when we'll sort out a date i, I look forward to it it's always great talking wrestling with you fellas well with you with you and matt especially mags i can i can take it or leave it to be honest sometimes he's a bit <laughs> <laughs> just just joshing Max, just joshing um yeah okay great stuff well comrade once again thank you very very much um everyone out there can find me on twitter at sjp words and you can find the show at sjp wrestling pod send in suggestions for topics shows you'd like us to review if there's anyone out there you'd like me to try and get an interview with i, I enjoy all the interactions um and as always thank you for listening <laughs>